0: Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2.
1: Hello, America. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425, should you wish to be on the program. I want to talk about uh, one of my very good friends who's gay. <laughs> I think he's listening. He'll he'll hear me say that. Um, so I, I, I got a friend. He he will go nameless, and if he's listening, he knows I'm talking about him right now. Um, He he and his partner have been in a relationship for a a good long while. I distinctly say partner because they've never gotten married because the tax the the tax liability would go up on them the the marriage penalty. They're still it is just uh, mind numbing to me that to this day in American tax policy there is still a bit of a marriage penalty if you get married and financially it has worked out for them to not get married and they um they're they're fine and it's just it's it's funny to me that they are in a situation to make this based on tax policy a lot of people are i know a, a heterosexual couple Um, and they, they're kind of in the same, they're both exceedingly wealthy in their own right. Uh, and they've been in a relationship now for, they were both married, got divorced. Uh, so now they're, they're in a relationship and they just won't get married. They both got a lot of money and they've run the numbers. It's not worth it for them to get married. They don't have kids together, but they've been, yes, you could call them dating. They've been living together now for probably 20 years don't have plans to separate, um, and it's just there's there's no reason. It's, it's all tax policy. Now, most people, however, do not assess tax policy when getting married. Most people get married because they have a, a religious conviction, a moral conviction to get married, and so they get married. And then when they have kids, they realize costs are beginning to go up. Now, we're in a problem here in this country because in the United States of America today, it is hard and difficult and a pain in the rear end to raise a family affordably. A lot of it has to do with government policy. There was an interesting piece in the Washington Post came out yesterday. Uh, the headline is, We Disagree on Abortion. Here's a pro-family agenda, both parties can support. It's by uh, my friend Mark Thiessen and Lisa Rosenberg. They're opinion writers at the Washington Post. And they point out a number of bipartisan ways to incentivize child production within a family in this country because let's let's be honest here and and you need to know this you got to understand this and this is a core issue that republicans themselves need to pay attention to a child born into a two-parent family that stays together and that's very important A child born into a two-parent heterosexual household, that matters too, although people wish it didn't, two-person heterosexual household that stays married has the highest earnings potential of anyone. A child born into a two-parent homosexual household, where it's gay men have the second highest earning potential. A child born into a two-parent household that divorces is the third highest potential. A child born into a two-parent homosexual household where it's lesbians is the fourth highest potential. And a child born with no father in the house has the worst potential for earnings. An out-of-wedlock child without the dad present—dads still matter in this country. In fact, a uh, single-parent household with a dad, his earnings potential is generally considered that that child's earnings potential is generally considered to be about where it is with a two-parent heterosexual household. Um, it's, it's actually a fascinating data point that over time in most situations, and do you know why this is and why it's kind of lumped together? It's kind of sad is that, uh, it is, you're more likely to have a single parent dad household where the mom died as opposed to the mom abandoned the kid. And so it's typically treated as a, uh, two parent heterosexual household. Now, if that's confusing for you, let me just break it down this way. Again, If you if you've got a kid born in a two-parent heterosexual nuclear household, that child is going to be everybody else's boss. You have a child who is born into a broken home, that child is going to be everybody else's employee, more likely than not. Now, these are generalities, and these are statistics, and there are exceptions to the rule. You don't have to call me angry and say, well, my kid— Is the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, and I was a single mom when I raised him, and dad walked out, blah, blah, blah. You you get my point. We're talking the stats, we're talking the generalities, we're talking the commonality. Unfortunately, government policy is penalizing a lot of families, and in penalizing those families, they're making it more expensive for people to have kids. Let's just take climate policy, for example. With climate policy, the costs of homeownership go up. The costs of feeding your family go up. And you are limited to the number of kids you can have because your vehicle is so small. That actually matters. But there's more to it as well. Part of it is also education. A lot of people... All right, look, I've got friends who are going through this right now. They, they've got young kids, and they're trying to decide their kid's future. You know, a, a kid who goes to general public school in this country now, if they're in a uh, two-parent household, is going to perform better than the other kids, but they still probably will not perform as well as if they went to private school. They're going to have to have more engaged parents. Part of the issue, part of the the, the, the problem here is uh, school choices become more and more expensive. This is why in states that have robust school choice, kids tend to perform better and are more academically gifted. Uh, Think about the report yesterday. A report came out from a left-wing website and a left-wing writer attacking the Florida School Choice Program because some parents were buying PlayStations or flat-screen large televisions as opposed to funding their kids' education. That's on the parents. They're trying to discredit the entirety of the Florida School Choice Program based on the choices of a few parents. Can you imagine if a conservative had done this with welfare and the abuse in the in the, the WIC program, the SNAP program, and things like that? The, the left would come down on that person as, as a racist bigot. But this, you've got a left-wing activist trying to undermine Ron DeSantis's school choice reforms in Florida, pointing out some parents bought TVs or PlayStations with the school choice money. Why is that on the government as opposed to on the parents? There are always going to be bad parents. Now, this gets me back to the Mark Thiessen and Alyssa Rosenberg and, and their piece. There are things that our government on a bipartisan way could do. What's notable, however, is Washington is not doing them. Let me read you part of this. America's failure to support young families is most bluntly expressed in its disgraceful infant and maternal mortality rates, which even before the pandemic reached rates unseen since the early 1970s and disproportionately affect black women. To bring numbers down, Senators Charles Grassley, Republican of Iowa, Maggie Hassan, Democrat of New Hampshire, have proposed an ambitious program to review how maternity care is taught to doctors and nurses. It also seeks to expand access to doula care, telehealth maternal care, and to devices such as glucose monitors for women with gestational diabetes who are on Medicaid. It's a great place to start. The federal government can also use its convening and data-gathering power to learn more about how to keep moms and babies healthy. Senators Tim Kaine, Democrat of Virginia, Lisa Murkowski, Republican of Alaska, have introduced a bill to establish a national maternal health research network within the National Institutes of Health. Senator Tina Smith, Democrat of Minnesota, introduced the Data to Save Moms Act, pulling together more information on maternal deaths up to a year after birth. To get care moms need the senate could pass and biden could sign a bipartisan bill co-sponsored by representatives brad winstrup a republican of iowa or of ohio and Dana davis democrat of illinois that the house passed with a huge 390 to 26 margin last year to expand the federal home health aid visits program for poor pregnant women and new moms and babies there's also the proposal from former nebraska representative jeff Fortenberry, a republican to set up a federal-state collaboration aimed to identify ways to help pregnant women get housing, stay in the workforce or school, and reduce Medicare costs. Same goes for a bill introduced by Carol Miller, Republican of West Virginia, and Marco Rubio, Republican of Florida, to set up programs at the Department of Health and Human Services to determine which mentoring and support programs new moms use that provide the best results. And then there's Mike Lee's proposal that would uh, get rid of marriage penalties from federal welfare programs so that women who actually do get married who are on federal welfare programs do not get thrown off those programs immediately once they get married. Or Mitt Romney has a bill that would raise the credit for per-child tax credit from 2000 to 4200 for children younger than 6 and $3,000 for those 6 to 17. He also introduced legislation to allow women to start claiming the child tax credit during pregnancy, and the credit would be fully refundable for those who don't owe taxes. And then there are things done at the state level, like, for example, Democrats and Republicans in Florida under Ron DeSantis agreed to make all baby items, cribs, strollers, clothing, diapers, wipes, all of them tax-free, no sales tax on those items. Florida's law has cut $17 off the price of an IKEA crib. Indiana has done one similar it saves parents $66 a year on diapers. And then extra savings on formula. Republicans and Democrats are like let's let's pull the politics out of this for a minute. Um we're at a pro- we have a problem in this country is we've reached net zero replenishment rate and what that means is that we are losing as many people per year as we give birth in this country and that's the tipping point my friend jonathan last wrote a very good book a number of years ago what to expect when no one's expecting and the thing he noted in studies of european uh, the japanese american canadian society is when you get to negative replenishment rate that is when your society tips over so that uh, you are now losing more people per year than you're giving birth to, it never bounces back. You never see an uptick. We are right on the cusp of that in this country. We're right on the cusp of that. In fact, to fill the jobs we need in this country, we actually need more immigration. But we as a nation on a bipartisan basis could be incentivizing families and incentivizing people having kids and doing so in a way that incentivizes stable families. The tax code, I abhor the idea of using it to enable social progress in this country, I abhor it. The idea is for it to be used to collect revenue to fund government. But we are now 50 years beyond the point of doing anything other than using it for social experimentation. If we're gonna use the tax code for that, we should be using it to reward families that have kids to incentivize more kids in this country. We need it. And there are bipartisan solutions in Washington, DC right now that Congress could and should pass to prop up families. We need strong families in this country. And then at the state level, you Republicans start passing school choice, make it easier for them to get their kids a good education that doesn't force them into public schools and you'll be ahead of the pack. I am a small businessman. The company that I run for my radio show, it's a small business. I've got employees. I don't have HR. You may be in that situation, and you may really need HR. Well... You may want to talk to Bambi. When running a business, your employees can create all sorts of interesting situations and they could get you in trouble. What happens when two employees are squabbling? One of them smells bad all the time. What do you do? How do you navigate the rules? With Bambi, you get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 a month. They're available by phone, email, real-time chat. Onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance. Your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. Let Bambi handle your employees for you. Their HR autopilot automates important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Listen, you want US based HR managers who give you experience, expertise, a personal touch you need to make it seem like they're a part of your team. They could cost 80 grand a year, but Bambi starts at $99 a month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Go to Bambi.com right now. Type in Eric Erickson under podcast when you sign up. It'll help you. It'll help your company grow. It'll help you keep peace of mind. It's spelled B A M B E E. BAM B E E.com. Bambi.com. Type in Eric Erickson. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Be patient on the phones, my friends. I'll get to you. I, I, so. You guys know Leo Terrell. Uh, he was a, a big uh, Democrat civil rights activist for a very long time. Um, he was a talk radio show host, uh, Democrat, uh, and he had a, a conversion in 2020. He decided to support Donald Trump in 2020 after having been a Democrat for a very long time. So I I say this and note that having been a Democrat until 2020, he doesn't know the lay of the landscape for the GOP. And I just, I saw yesterday he referred to Congressman Chip Roy, a close personal friend, as a rhino. If you know anything about Chip Roy, eh, calling him a rhino means you actually have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, He is a conservative's conservative. He is the most conservative member of the United States House of Representatives, inarguably so. Uh, But the reason Leo Terrell is calling him a rhino is because Chip Roy has endorsed Ron DeSantis over Donald Trump. Uh, Leo Terrell also said uh, that once you leave Donald Trump, you are not welcome back. Now, I happen to know something about winning elections. I was a political consultant who ran elections around this country quite successfully for a number of years and got myself elected to office. And I just want you to know it's kind of like campaign management 101. When you tell voters they're not welcome, they tend to take you up on that. So someone probably needs to uh, make sure that Leo Terrell understands when you burn bridges with voters and tell them they're not welcome, they're not wanted, they're not desired, they may take you up on that. Remember Carrie Lake uh, just a few days before her election in Arizona told McCain voters she did not want them voting for her, and they said okay, and she lost, even though she refuses to acknowledge it. She's a trans winner, a loser who identifies as a winner. Um, So you got to be careful then. Colin Chip Roy... A rhino is just shows your ignorance. Now I don't want you guys to be ignorant about how you can clean up the air in your house with Eden for Thunderstorm. You can. Somebody uh messaged me on Twitter and said, I just bought two of these. You could have bought three for less than two hundred dollars and gotten free shipping, but he only wanted two. You want the three pack, trust me. I said, Listen, I know someone who is a good friend who decided to smoke cigars in his truck and then run the Eden Pure Thunderstorm so his wife wouldn't know, and it worked. She had no idea. That's how good these things are. You can get three of them for less than $200. You save $200. You get free shipping. You go to EdenPureDeals.com, EdenPureDeals.com. You put in my discount code, which is Eric, E-R-I-C-K, my first name. You can get three of them for less than $200. They are odor eliminators, pet odors, litter box odors, smoke odors uh just nasty odors dead animal in the wall odors cooking odors they wipe out theirs they're also an air purifier get rid of the pollen and the dust floating in the air electrostatic plates you don't have to get a filter subscription give them a try edenpuredeals.com the discount code is eric you get three of them upstairs downstairs your basement your travel bag your rv wherever you need them edenpuredeals.com the discount code eric e-r-i-c-k Hello there. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program? Always happy to have you. I want to spend some time on the phones here with callers. Let us begin. I'm going to go to Mary first. Welcome to the program, Mary. How are you?
2: Hey Eric, I'm good. I'm a former liberal, turned conservative, and I appreciate what I you. learned from your show. Thank you. <laughs> um, wonder if, you know I really liked what you were saying earlier, how we need to support who can win, and I'm advocating for that every day. But to that end, I'm not a big follower of the polls. Um, I tend to prefer to follow the money. so I'm wondering if you can teach us what's the best way to do that and
1: oh, that's a good know, idea.
2: Yeah, and and um, you know, is it is it actually a really good gauge for determining who the strongest candidates are?
1: Oh, that's good. Okay, um, so first of all, it's hard to follow the money. Uh, like for example, I, I said a little while ago, Nikki Haley saw a thousand percent increase in mm-hmm. donations from Iowa voters after her debate. Uh, that information comes from her campaign. We presume it is true, given how much she released the press release, uh, and uh, we can find out when the the quarterly finances come out. Um, my guess is that it's true. I've heard this as well on background from people I trust that it's true. Um, but you've got to actually read the newspapers about the fundraising to be able to get this information, in large part because it the campaigns don't necessarily put it out publicly. They'll talk to reporters about it. But then every quarter, they release what's called their quarterly fundraising report, and they have to show uh, everything they spent money on and every one of their donors uh, who gave at least $200. If you give less than $200 no, 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 I'm sorry. It's less than $100. Uh, if it's less than $100, you can be anonymous. Um, Nope. I'm sorry. It's sorry, y'all. It's been a while. I used to practice this area of law. If it's less than $100, you can give cash. If it's less than $200, you don't have to document the person. It's just a small dollar donor. Um, If it's $200 or more, you have to list their name, address, employer, um, and that's how you follow the money. It's very complicated to do. There are reporters who do it. Now let's talk about the polling because you can't believe the percentages in polls. What you can typically, however, do is you can follow the trends in the polls. So if all the polling is headed in a direction, like right now, all the polls have Donald Trump in the lead. You can presume Donald Trump is in the lead, maybe not 50%, maybe not 60%, but you can presume he's ahead because every poll is showing that. The media polling never gets it right, but they also never get it wrong, except in some cases. Now, what do I mean by that? The bottom line number that they show you, the actual percentage, more often than not, will not be accurate. But the trend lines tend to be accurate. Let's go back to 2022. so the most recent example. In 2022, the media polling showed in August a surge for Democrats. None of the partisan polling from the Republicans showed that. My interpretation of it was that the media was getting it wrong and the Republicans were getting it right. It turned out, all of us who thought that were wrong, the media polling turned out to be right. If you got rid of all the Republican polls, the media got the, if you averaged all the media polls together, they almost predicted the outcome uh, within like a half or three quarters of a percentage point. So take the polling average Real clear politics does a very good job of this. They aggravate, every, ag- aggregate everything. The problem was Republican pollsters aggravated the, uh, the aggregation because Republican pollsters in 2022 were running terrible polls. Trafalgar was actually a very bad pollster in 2022, and Trafalgar screwed up the polling average and made it look like the Republicans really were going to have a lands- landslide. They didn't. Had you taken out the Republican and Democratic pollsters and just used the media polls in 2022, you'd have a far more accurate sense of what happened. Uh, So when everybody says the polling was screwed up in 2022, it was the partisan polling from the GOP that was screwed up. It was not the media polls. If we go back to 2016, the media polls were right when it came to the popular vote. They just couldn't measure the Electoral College. Hillary Clinton won by about two and a half, three percent of the popular vote, which is what the polls showed. So the question then becomes state polling. State polling, the smaller the group of people to poll, the harder it is to poll. You can poll a massive number of people statewide or, or nationwide and get a far more accurate poll with 500 people than if you poll 500 people in a single state. I don't quite understand why that is, to be honest with you, but I know it to be true. State polling is harder. But if you go to Real Care Politics or you go to um, 538, the website 538, they list the credible pollsters. So, for example, I'm in Georgia. The Atlanta Journal-University of Georgia poll, actually, they've now got a number of years of a track record that shows that they're a pretty good pollster. I've been largely skeptical of them, but in the past... Two, tar- two election cycles, their track record has shown them to be pretty accurate pollster of what's going on. Uh, I used to be a huge fan of Mason-Dixon polling. For years, Mason-Dixon polling was one of the great pollsters. And they're not so much anymore except in the southeast. In Florida, they do a very good poll. Um, Ann Selzer in Iowa is the gold standard for pollsters in Iowa. Uh, If Ann Selzer and the Des Moines Register release a poll, you read Ann Selzer's poll. She may not get the number right, but she's going to capture the trends pretty accurately. It's easier to do that than it is to do the fundraising. Uh, Keep track of it because that happens quarterly. Otherwise, you have to talk to the campaigns. Now, here's a larger problem. And this is a significant problem. It is that the polling dynamics in this country, even the ones that you don't want to agree with, particularly the ones you do want to agree with, they're the ones that are used to shape the news. What do I mean by that? You're more likely to get a news report about a poll than you are a policy. You're more likely to get a news report about polling data than you are to get a news report about, well, the intricacies of a campaign. That actually I think has more to do with why so many people resent polls than the polls themselves, because it's very lazy journalism. Let's do a poll and report on the polling as opposed to let's, do a, let's actually interview candidates and talk about positions. Let's talk about the horse race instead of the underlying dynamics. It's far harder to do a news story about the underlying dynamics of a campaign because you actually got to go interview people as opposed to just reading the poll numbers and writing a report on it and talking to the pollster. That's where my hatred of polling comes in is it's relevant to talk about. It gives you a sense of the direction of the race, but you should not do it at the expense of everything else. And too many members of the media want to spend their time covering the poll and not actually covering the actual underlying campaign. Now, back to the phones, uh, 877-973-7425. Uh, Viola you're going to be up next. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Eric. I wanted to get your opinion on a potential strategy for Democrats um, that I'm reading through several online forums. We have Feinstein, the senator in California, with failing health, and she could, let's put in quotation marks, leave her role as senator as a result. Kamala Harris is been appointed to replace Feinstein. This frees up Biden to step down as a presidential candidate so Democrats could then nominate Michelle Obama as their candidate for president. If that were the case, I would think, wanted to get your thoughts on this, that she could win in a landslide over Trump or have a pretty good chance of winning over any other Republican for president. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that strategy.
1: Okay, I have to ask you two questions first, and we have time, so you have to humor me. Uh, first Uh-oh. of all... Your name, uh yes. I love it. Where do, is it a family name?
2: It's Latina. Okay. It's Argentinian. So I, Latina.
1: <laughs> I absolutely love it. Um it, it, my call screener very, very kindly spelled the pronunciation because I don't think I would have guessed yeah. it based on spelling, but my gosh, I love your name. So number well, one.
2: Thank you. I'll answer to anything nice.
1: Okay. N- number two is you're about the 2,000th person to ask me the Michelle Obama question in the last month or two, and i got to imagine that it's out there somewhere, and, and I don't know where it's coming from. Um, so what, what, what struck you? To, to where? Why did you land on the Michelle Obama thing?
2: Well, it was just thinking about how do you, as a Democrat, how would you get Biden out of his role so he doesn't run again without... Harris being the de facto nominee. And then I just read a variety of different online forums and just, this yeah, just the, kept
1: up. a and you know, in of, 2020, there was also, and in 2016, there was the Michelle Obama speculation, which, which kind of tells you that um, there's something about Michelle Obama. My wife, by the way, read her book and genuinely liked her book. And what I think a lot of people on the right don't appreciate is that Michelle Obama was from the sort of family that people on the right say you should be from, uh, two-parent heterosexual nuclear household where the family was forced to eat together at dinner. The mom made sure there was a meal on the table every night, uh, that sort of thing. Um, she's got an impressive story. I don't think Michelle Obama wants to go back to the White House. Uh, and the reason I say that is because if you read her book or you know people who know her, which I do, The worst day in her life was when Barack Obama won the presidency. She was not a fan of being in the White House. Um, Now, now let's say she does. I think you're probably right. She'd be a formidable candidate if she did. Uh, I I don't think there's any denying the fact she'd be a formidable candidate. A lot of women uh, would go for it. The problem, however, is that that's the Michelle Obama who's in the book, who you and I think of. That's not the Michelle Obama on the campaign trail. And on the campaign trail, she would have to rise or fall on her own and on public policy. And I don't know that she would come across as well on the campaign trail as as she does on paper. There are always great candidates on paper. Now, to your larger point, though, this gets to a problem the Democrats need to realize. In the same USA Today Suffolk poll I was telling people about where they polled the voters who refused to vote in 2024— among the democrats who refuse to vote in 2024 they're just done with biden they think he's awful they they think he's terrible they think he's too old they want nothing to do with him and they want a new candidate michelle obama could get those people off the off the sidelines and bring him in i just don't think she's going to do it though um i could be wrong i, I could be wrong and you, as i said you you were like the 2000th person in the last month to say what about michelle obama from from the right concerned about her i I don't think she's gonna do it. I do think privately Democrats acknowledge that there's a problem with Kamala Harris. They don't know how to get rid of her without causing more problems. But Michelle Michelle Obama can connect to people in a way that Kamala Harris can't, which gives her an advantage. Kamala Harris doesn't do a good job every time she's on the campaign stage. It just doesn't work well. But they're struggling with Joe Biden Now, you know, I mentioned my buddy Jonathan last. um, He and I don't necessarily see eye to eye on politics these days. He's over at the Bulwark. He wrote the book, What to Expect When You're Not Expecting. And he actually wrote a piece yesterday I thought was intriguing in that he acknowledged Joe Biden is actually not a great candidate for the Democrats. He is a weak, vulnerable candidate for the Democrats. But what the Democrats may intuitively understand is that Joe Biden remains the only Democrat who can keep the Democratic Party together to even attempt to win, that any other Democrat would either be too liberal or too conservative, and Joe Biden is kind of the Goldilocks person for the Democrats right now. To your point though, Michelle Obama could trump that. I just don't think she will. Now, before I get out of here, let me tell you about vision computers. Um listen, no, 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 no don't, don't change the channel yet. Don't don't change the channel. Let, let me tell you this. Uh, my son, last night, you know, he's got a gaming PC, and we got it from Vision. I called him, told him what he wanted, told him what he needed. They actually talked to my son. What games do you play? What are your interests? What are your future interests for school? He was into architecture, and they got him a PC, they put in a GPU that was perfect for him. Last night, he had an issue. And instead, I didn't even know about it until this morning when he got up for school. He was having an issue last night, and he called Vision Computer. And Vision Computer was the one that tipped him off that dad has a blocker on your Wi-Fi and it turns off at a certain time. And now he knows. He stayed up last night, and he got caught. He got caught this morning because uh, he shouldn't have been on his PC that late, but he tried to. He it was for homework. <laughs> um, and it was Vision Computers that figured it out for him. Uh, They're good. He called them. He bypassed that. I didn't have to be IT support for him. And that's the same for you. You don't have to be IT support for your kids. You let Vision build your computer, PC, laptop, desktop, whatever you need. And then they can also service your computers. You can call them. They give you a number and they actually answer the phone. I mean, he was calling them late last night and they answered the phone. And they figured out the problem for him. and, And he confessed this morning. But he said it was for homework. But nonetheless... They can do that for you and your business. So your secretary, your assistants, your co-workers, your employees, they can call Vision. Vision can save you money building your computers and also save you money so you don't have to have an IT department. They take care of it. VisionComputers.com or 404Compute, any of you nationwide. 404Compute, let Vision Computers be your go-to solution for computers. Hi there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the phone number, 877-973-7425. So I... I I, I know some of you may know this. Speaking of my my son and his um, and his interests in computers. So he's fourteen, about to be fifteen. He's deeply interested in architecture. I, I put him in touch with my buddy Vince Longo, who's a home builder in Atlanta, and and uh that would that just did me no good because now I've got a bunch of field trips I got to take my kid on after talking to that guy, <laughs> but. I, I just, I, 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 he, he's in the model. He wants to like do modeling, like architecture modeling. And, and he's like, what do I get clay or um not? He's beyond Legos at this point. What what does he get? He he really wants to do like figure out how to build like little houses and stuff. I mean, what, what does he do? I don't know if, if any of you are architects and, and you, you want to weigh in, uh let me know. He's, he wants to build buildings, not necessarily residential houses, but he, he really just wants to, he is fascinated. I'm like. Like I don't remember being obsessed about a topic when I was that age, but that kid is obsessed with architecture, Um, wants to go to architecture school, thought he wanted to go to Georgia Tech. Now he's not so sure. A friend of mine is doing a hard sell on Auburn. They apparently have a good architecture school. I I don't know, but he wants to be an architect, which is good because one day I'm going to need one whenever I can build my dream house. But then he doesn't want to build my dream house. He wants to build skyscrapers. Um, We'll see. But any architects, if you have advice for my 14-year-old, he wants to do like like model builds of houses and stuff. How does he even get started? What does he do? Because I am clueless.